You are listening to This is Oklahoma, hosted by Mike Hearn, telling stories of Oklahomans and those that have made it their home. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma podcast. Mike Hearn here, your host, back with another episode. Excited to share this episode with you today. But before we do, I've got to thank our sponsors. First of all, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame. They've been a huge part of this podcast for the last few years. So the Oklahoma Hall of Fame have been sharing Oklahoma's story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com. And for daily updates, go to Oklahoma HOF on Instagram and give them a follow. Our other sponsor today is the Chickasaw Nation. Now, the Chickasaw Nation have sponsored pretty much everything in Oklahoma. They're a huge supporter of Oklahoma. And it's an honor to have their name and their brand supporting this podcast. So a huge shout out to Governor Anatoby for supporting this podcast. It really means a lot. Our third sponsor is Diffie Ford Lincoln down in El Reno. Now, this one makes me so happy because these guys are great friends of mine, um, play a lot of golf together. I've bought my cars from them. Do most of my oil changes down there, have a cup of coffee, hang out down in El Reno. It's a good spot to go. And not only are they great friends, but they provide a great service. So for over 60 years, a third generation family owned Oklahoma business down in El Reno. They're also in Bethany as well. So people in the Bethany area know the Diffies really well. But if you're looking for anything new used, um, Ford, Lincoln, or whatever, I'm sure they could find anything you want. Um, check them out, DiffieFord.net, and then on Instagram at DiffieFordLincoln. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This Is Oklahoma. Mike Hearn here, your host, back with another episode, bringing you another episode leading up to our Small Business Saturday with uh, Nicholas Hills Plaza and Class and Curve. And so it gives me great pleasure to introduce to you today our guest, Mr. Jim Clark, thank you so much for uh, inviting me into your wonderful store. Thank you. Very glad to, to be here. Yeah. So this store, uh, this this is a fairly new store, isn't it? Yes, Compared it is. to your other one in yeah, downtown. It's, it's a fairly new store and a very nice store. Yeah. So to give you a little history on where this store came from, uh, we spent um, the last 32 years in the largest, finest, large mall in Oklahoma City. And when our lease came due uh, after those 32 years, we had come to the conclusion that we needed to, we needed to make a change, that the time was right. Uh, we needed a larger space, and we needed better parking for our customers. And it just so happened that this location became available at the same time we were looking. So it was the perfect fit for us. Yeah. And uh, the only thing we had to do was we had to totally remodel the space. But the building was here, and all of the parking was here, and our customers love being able to just pull right up in front of the store and, and come in. So we've been very delighted with it. It's been a very successful venture for us. It was money well spent, cost us a lot of money, uh, but um, uh, we um, we had to make a lot of major changes. The, we basically gutted the whole store, and then we went from there. And we added a lot of windows on the outside. It was all brick on the front, a very, very few window space. And so we opened up the store so it had a more open and inviting feel to it. And it's worked out. It's been great for us. This is a great center for us. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a synergy here, here and there's a, um, there's a vibe here that's really good. And uh, we've got a lot of local, locally owned shops, which we like. Uh, and we like having local people around us. We're as local as you can get. Yeah. 
We're actually we're the the oldest. Uh, we used to advertise that we were the oldest jeweler in Oklahoma, and uh, we suddenly realized quite a few years ago that we're not only the oldest jeweler, we're the oldest business in the entire state of Oklahoma that's still owned and operated by the original family. So I'm third generation. My two sons who really run the business now, Coleman and Mitchell, they're fourth generation. And we're working on the fifth generation. We've got some now that are looking like they're interested in the business. They're college age, so uh, things are looking good. Yeah. We expect to get into that fifth generation. You know, to get into the third generation, it's like a like a 10% chance or maybe 7 or 8% chance that a business can make it to the third generation. But now we're into the fourth and we're expecting to get into the fifth. Yeah, that's super exciting. And Life you leave good. a legacy, right? You leave a legacy of, and everyone knows the brand, everyone knows the Christmas jingle. Like, you know, you've had you've had the business for so long and it, it builds loyal customers into those generations too. Right. You know, your customers are fifth generation. Now well, too. that's the advantage of being around for so long mm -hmm. that uh, you become a part of the fabric of the community and uh, people know you. And then if you've got... A few things working for you, like we have this nice little jingle that works well that people are very familiar with that helps identify us with our with our customers. Yeah. Uh, so people see the business now and they probably don't think mm, that's a small business, um, but it started out as a small business. Uh, and I'd love to hear as small your, as you can get. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to hear your earliest so, memories. So about I love to yeah. tell the story because it involves my granddad who started the business. Uh, he grew up on a cotton farm in Mississippi, Kosciuszko, Mississippi. He had about eight or nine siblings. And uh, by the time he was 17, he'd figured out, I do not want to be a cotton farmer the rest of my life. He was, uh, uh, he, he, he just was very forward thinking and nothing seemed to scare him. So he decided at 17, he was going to leave the farm. He had an older brother that had left the farm and had relocated in Abilene, Texas. And so my grandfather caught the trains, series of trains, and made his way to Abilene, Texas. Uh, his brother had bought an old, uh, a small jewelry store just by chance. My granddad hadn't thought about that as his career, but that's the way it was. When he got there, he, his brother said, well, you can work for me. And so he did that. And he only did that for five years. He couldn't stand it. After five years, he was ready to go make his own money and get out on his own. And so that's what he did. Uh, when he was 22, he, uh, he had been hearing uh, a lot about Oklahoma and about uh, Indian Territory. Back then, Oklahoma was not a state. Uh, it was uh, what they called the unassigned lands, and they had the Oklahoma Territory and they had Indian Territory. It was kind of half and half of the state. And he thought, he had talked to a lot of people that every, everything traveled by trains back in those days. So he'd been talking to a lot of people that had come down on the trains from, from up north when he was down in Abilene. And uh, they talked about how this was kind of the promised land. It was, it, you, could, you could get in on the ground floor if you'd come and start a business from scratch and eventually uh, do really well. So that was his pipe dream. And so he started saving his money. He learned how to repair pocket watches from his brother. So that was his trade at that point. 
And so uh, once he thought he had enough money, he decided he was going to catch the train and go up north, go into uh, um, somewhere in the Indian Territory, Oklahoma Territory area. Actually, he was trying to get to Chickasha. He had looked at a map and he saw the different names of different towns around. And uh, one of them was Chickasha, and he just thought that was just a really nice name. He thought that would be a great place to settle. So he got on the train, loaded his uh, tools and equipment, had his wallet with his $50 stakes, what he'd say, $50 at that point. $50 is quite a bit of money back then, because this was in 1892. And so uh, he rode the train up, and then he was going to catch a spur over to Chickasha. And there's what they call the turntable. It's kind of the halfway point, actually, between Galveston and Chicago. Trains would go all the way from Galveston uh, up to Purcell, Oklahoma, which is a little town south of here. And at Purcell, the round table was located, and so everybody had to get off the train at that point. They turned the engine around, and they'd send it back to Galveston. They turned the engine around, and the trains come from Chicago, and they go back to Chicago. And so uh, he had to get off the train there. But he I, actually, I think he needed to get off anyway to catch the spur over to Chickasha. When he got off, um, he couldn't find his wallet. He discovered that he'd lost his wallet somewhere along the way. So he literally was penniless when he started this business. So he started walking the streets of Purcell trying to figure out what he was going to do. He still had his tools and his equipment and so forth. And he went into a, a store that back then they called a racket store. I'm not quite sure why that word was the word, but that was it, a racket store. And it basically was the same as a five-and-dime store or the forerunner to a Walmart. Um, and he ran into somebody that he knew from Abilene. And it was, it was a gentleman that had, been, had lived in Abilene for quite a while and had come up just for the same reason, I guess, start his own business. And so he owned this racket store, and my granddad told him his dilemma, and he said, well, you can set up in the corner of, uh, of my store until you get your feet on the ground, give you a place to get started. And so that's what he did. So that's how he got started, and uh, that was in Purcell in 1892. His original stationery says uh, Purcell, IT. IT stands for Indian Territory. So the word Oklahoma wasn't on any of his stationery or his business card or anything back in those days. Um, so he slowly built his business. Um, did a lot of repairing of pocket watches. Pocket watches were very important in those days because everybody rode on the trains and everybody that worked for the train was required to own a pocket watch and they had to have it serviced and cleaned and checked on a regular basis if they were going to work for the railroad because time was very important to the railroad back in those days. And so, uh, so he built his business around the pocket watch business early on, but then he started to dabble in other things, gifts and items and eventually diamonds, and uh, built his business from there. So he was there until 1929. And in 1929, he decided to move to Oklahoma City because it was very clear by that time that that's where the real growth was going to be in this in this market, in this area. And so uh, <laughs> he uh, moved in 1929. That 
date should sound a little significant to you because that's right when the crash, the stock market crash happened, 29.30. So we got to Oklahoma City with this new business and then we had the stock market crash and yeah. everything went, uh, went crazy. Uh, but he survived that, somehow he did, and uh, built his business and little by little, so my, uh, my, my father uh, started in the business, actually during about the time World War II broke out. He, he, was, he got started in the business for a few years, and then World War II broke out, and he went into the service, and he served his time in World War II. And um, my, uh, my uncle helped kind of watch things, and my, and my granddad, who was still living at that time, watched things while he was gone. Then he came back, and... He started helping build build the business up and uh, developing the reputation that we have and been able to keep. So then I came along and it was my duty to step in, or at least not, not duty, I was pleased to do it. I love this business and have worked in this business since I was this high. That happens with when you have a small business, a family business, everybody gets involved in it. So. Uh, from a very young age, I was involved in whether it was sweeping, gift wrapping, small small duties that they could uh, trust me to do, <laughs> and then uh, continued working all through high school and into, into college and and beyond. Yeah, I, I got married pretty young, so I was married while I was still in college. But I was married um, and uh, had a uh, um, we didn't have our baby until when I after I graduated, but she was we were pregnant with our first child in my senior year, and I was uh, taking a full schedule and working in the store half time and commuting from Norman. I went to OU, yeah. so it was great. Uh, it was great fun. Yeah. What um, I mean. I'm sure there's so many memories and so many great moments, and and you know you like remembering your grandfather right and being around that and i mean what was he like what was did he tell us many stories did he keep to himself i mean what, well, what did I, he share I, any wisdom with you yeah, like what are those what are those moments so i, I was fortunate enough to know my grandfather because a lot of people yeah the, their grandfathers uh, maybe weren't around when they became teenagers or older um uh, my grandfather uh lived to be 94 and uh, so I knew him uh, up until after I was married. So all, all the time I was growing up, we had uh, many good times on sitting on his porch with my dad. My dad would go by every Sunday and visit with his dad. And they'd sit out on their front porch and their swinger. And uh, I got to go on those little trips many times, and which was really nice. He was he was quite quite unique individual, as you can imagine, uh, my grandfather, and um, uh, he was uh, very connected with his church. And we used to tease him that he spent more time on church work than he did store work, and uh, he literally did, particularly in his later years. He would stay up in his office most of the time. And he was busy raising money for the church. He helped plant a lot of new Methodist churches in the state of Oklahoma. Uh, in fact, he was called Mr. Methodist in the state of Oklahoma because he had been to more 
what they call quarterly conferences than anybody else. And he was so um, really engrossed in, in helping um, develop churches. So there are a lot of churches around the metro area that there's, there's one that's named after him. One it's called the uh, Clark, B.C. Clark Memorial Methodist Church out in, uh, in the western part of the city. Um, but he was, uh, he was quite a guy. And people loved him. He loved to go to church camps. He, in fact, he was 94 when he passed away, and he actually tripped on a trail going to the, uh, the mail room on a, on a camping trip or a, a church camp because uh, he was he felt he personally needed to get the mail for the uh, for the bishop and delivered him personally and he was very good friends with the bishop but he had so much respect for him and my, my granddad 94 years old he's going to the mail room to get the bishop's mail and take to him personally and um, he fell on the trail because it, it was it wasn't concrete it was just a, it was out in the in the woods and uh, Anyway, we uh, we miss him quite a bit. He uh, definitely set the tone for the business, and so now I have my two sons who are involved in the business. So they're fourth generation. They took a similar tack to what I did, and uh, they actually uh, they actually worked outside of the business for a few years. Each of them. Uh, and we all agreed that was a great idea, and I was willing to take my chances that I'd still be able to get them back. Uh, but it was good for them to get that outside experience, and they both did. And they both did. They did. Re they did really well. So they came back with a lot of uh, self confidence and uh, and belief in the fact that they could make their own, whether they went in the family business or not. Yeah. And uh, I love having them. They're there's the, the, they contribute so much, and they've made our business. What it is today, the the fact that it's grown as much as it has. So now we're looking for the fifth generation, and uh, we're. And, and by the way, we we have uh, my oldest son has four girls, and my youngest son Mitchell, who are in the business, um, he has three boys. And the, the one thing that's been very clear to me uh, in watching our industry and really all businesses is how um, how much the women contribute to the businesses these days. So we're, we're looking for a few good men and a few good women, too. So we, we would love to have yeah. a fifth generation that's, uh, that's uh, the uh, female persuasion. They, they make great owners of jewelry stores. Yeah. They have a great understanding of fashion and jewelry. Mm -hmm. And so in our industry, there are a lot of mm -hmm. second, third, and fourth generation women that are running their family businesses now. And of course, a lot of men too. So. Oh yeah, I mean, women love diamonds, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I think uh, when, I, when, we, when Coleman was on the podcast, he, he mentioned, you know, going away and, and that was a huge value to, to go somewhere else, right? To go out, outside of the business, to learn so that what you learn, you can bring back and then add to the business to help grow it. And, Correct. you know, that's something of super valuable. And, you know, it is tough to do, right? It is tough to, as a, as a you know, a younger, younger generation to think, you know what, like I've got it made here. Like I, I have a job if I want it, but I need to go learn my craft first to feel like I really bring something to the table and, Obviously, that the, the boys did that, and you know, 
looking for that in the next generation, which is uh, yeah. which is fun to have. I mean, family businesses aren't easy, but you know, it's it, you're in it together, right? And it's there's, there's there's fun in that. There's nothing better than a family business when it works. Yes, they don't always work. Sometimes there's too much tension between siblings and and families, and it's it, it can be difficult. But when it works, it's there's nothing sweeter than that. It's yeah. it's great, and there are a lot of a lot of a lot of businesses in our industry that are like that that have the, the full families involved in it, and that really love working together. Mm-hmm. And it's a, again, it's a wonderful thing when it works. Yeah. yeah. Uh, did you when when you went into the business? Did you what was that the like you grew up in it? You didn't think about doing anything else? Like what what, what did you go to university for? So in in my case, I always wanted to be in the business mm-hmm. from a very young age. I have I have an older brother. Uh, who is a, an astrophysicist? Oh, wow! And, and he never wanted to be in the, yeah. you know from from that perspective. He always was very focused sure. in the scientific field. And by the same token, I was always focused on uh, on our business. Uh, so uh, I got outside experiences in different ways. So my two sons, when they graduated, they weren't a hundred percent sure that they wanted to be in the business. They they both had that that feeling inside, but they wanted to work somewhere else first. And I really uh, encouraged that. Uh, in in my case, um, I knew that's what I wanted to do, uh, and I was focused on it. But I did get other kinds of experience that my sons weren't able to get. One, I, when I graduated from college, I went into the military. Went through ROTC and was a second lieutenant when I came out and got assigned to a post in uh, Dugway Proving Ground, Utah, which is which wow. is another story, <laughs> unusual place to be assigned. Yeah, we were uh, eight and a half months pregnant at that time, and so we had our first child at Dugway Proving Ground, and so I had I was thrust at a very young age into a leadership position as an officer. In fact, I was occupying a captain's position because they didn't have a captain to put into one. And so I, I got thrust into it. And so it was a great experience for me, great um, uh, experience to learn how to be a boss and to, and to function. And um, then I went to graduate school after that. So I had two years in the service, and then I went two years to graduate school. I went to New York University. And uh, my experience there was, was great in that I, I was able to further my education, but then I also uh, had the opportunity to work during my summer between the two years uh, in the, the heartbeat of our industry in New York City. That's where so many manufacturers and diamond dealers are. And so I was able to work for two really fine uh, manufacturers I split up my summer. They, one, one of them hired me for the first half, and I, the other one hired me for the first second half of the summer. And it was great experience for me. So when I when I graduated, I was raring to go. I was <laughs> I was yeah. when, when I when I finished that time there, I was ready to get into the family business, and so I did. Yeah. Did you um, do you when when you go working for those two companies and and on your educational side of things? Do you find a, um, a niche? Do you find something that you want to specialize in in the jewelry business? Well, we um, not not specifically. No. Uh, it, it's it's uh, we kind of like my two sons and mm-hmm. I, the three of us. We we do have areas that we kind of specialize in. Mm-hmm. 
but we're also generalists and sure. we're we're functioning and helping run the entire company so yeah. we've got uh, a lot of issues to deal with yeah. um, both of my sons went to the gemological net now here's here's sure. where, where they did something much better than me uh, they furthered their education rather than going to graduate school like I did they went to a school in uh, California that's called the gemological Institute of America uh, so they did that. That was a six-month program, but uh, they, they both went there. And when they when they graduated from that, they were both what were called certified uh, gemologists. And so they had they had some uh, gemological skills that I didn't have when they after they graduated from that. And so it's worked out yeah. really well for us. Is there a part of the business that you? prefer more than others like do you find it a lot more fun in the watch side of things or the gem side of things i mean you have home goods upstairs as well like there's a lot of parts to the business what yeah. what's your what's your yeah, favorite so, so my area of, of uh, greatest interest is the, the gemology and diamond okay. area uh so that's kind of what um uh, where I have always kind of specialized, but but the, the other thing that all three of us have learned is that the most gratifying thing is dealing with people, dealing with customers. So it's getting out on the sales floor. So I, all three of us spend our time on the sales floor. And um, that was true with my, my father and my grandfather as well. Those personal relationships that we're able to develop and it helps us run the business much better if we know what uh, our salespeople are going through too. <laughs> so, yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, you're right. And, um, you know, it, you're in the business of putting smiles on faces, right? A lot of people come in, it's it's for an occasion, right? That they're celebrating or, you know, they've made, they got a promotion or they, they want a big case and they want to buy a new watch. Like whatever it is, like you guys are in a great position where you get to facilitate that. You're very perceptive. You understand. <laughs> yeah. What's the beautiful part about our business is, is that people are usually coming in to celebrate a very, very happy occasion. And so uh, th that's um, a, a wonderful situation for us where we have that, uh, that element going on uh, every time we talk to a customer. Everybody's happy. <laughs> and they go out a little happier if we're good <laughs> when we're through. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, tell, tell me a little bit. I know you touched on it a little bit at the start about this new location, the new store that you built, you know, that, that you renovated and, and opened up the bricks and, and put more glass in. You got to design your own space, which is, you know, very yeah. uncommon that you get to and very kind of special and lucky yeah. that you guys get to do that. Tell me a little bit about just the sections of, you know, the building that we have. And, okay. you know, it's uh, so. So first of all, I think, I think it's important to. To stress the fact that uh, uh, that it was all built locally, so we used local contractor Smith and Pickle. We used a local architect, a guy named Todd Edmonds with HSE, um, and so and a lot of smaller contractors that were all local, and and we we insisted on that we want made sure that we wanted to do that there there are people that specialize in jewelry stores that are stationed that are out of new york or out of la or somewhere else but we, we never even looked there we looked straight at uh, at local people here smaller businesses and they kind of understood us better too they understood our our language the only thing that wasn't done locally was uh the, the rolex area 
and we have a very special environment, a Rolex environment, that had to be done the Swiss way. And so we had to deal with Rolex on that. Mm -hmm. uh, but otherwise, everything uh, was done locally. We had great, a great experience with everyone. Mm -hmm. Everybody did such a great job. So we had different areas that we wanted to develop. We had a, our, our largest uh, jewelry uh, supplier, the, the biggest um, designer, is a designer named David Yerman. So we had a special boutique built for him. So we got input from them, of course, and we built it, but we still, it was still built. Um, um, most of it was done uh, locally. So uh, then, then uh, we, we have a watch area that's adjacent to the Rolex boutique, or the Rolex environment, they call it. And um, of course, we have a very important engagement ring area. And we have a beautiful one, something we really are proud of is the environment that Todd Edmonds, our architect, created for. We've got a chain link mm -hmm. curtain that hangs from the ceiling. This is a very high ceiling in this store, which makes it a little cavernous. And so we, we had to work hard to make this space comfortable for our customers. And um, so... Um, these these chains and you, you'll see them when you go out out this door here. Uh, they provide a kind of a curtain from the ceiling that comes down to about eight feet, maybe or nine feet from the floor, mm -hmm. and it's uh, it's a unique look. It's it's something we hadn't seen anywhere else, and now we're seeing some other other retailers around the country kind of doing something similar to this. Mm -hmm. One of the, one of the really gratifying things to us was um, uh, we opened the store, I think it was in September of 2020. And in 2021, uh, there, there, we have a, an important trade magazine that does a contest every year to pick what they call the coolest stores in America. And so uh, we were able to compete for that. And um, we won. We were named the uh, coolest jewelry store in America in 2021. And, uh, of course, our contemporaries in the business were, a lot of them were very uh, happy for us, but a lot of them were, I imagine, a little envious, too, that we, that we got that, uh, that title. So um, <clears throat> we were the feature story, along with... That they had like second place and third place, and they had they had what they call small. They decided that they needed to give the smaller jewelers a chance at it too. So they had the the uh, coolest jewelry store in America, the small cool and the large cool. We were the large cool because the cool because this is a very large store. So, yeah. uh, any rate, it was uh, nice to get that recognition, and it was good for our architect and our designers and. Um, people that were so yeah. uh, deeply involved in it. Yeah, it's a testament to the, the people that you chose to do the work, right? And it just, it makes it, I don't know, it's a little bit sweeter when it's local too, right? Because yeah. you expect it from people who build jewelry stores all over the country, right? Sure. But yeah. the fact that it's local people, that's, uh, that's really special. Are there any moments over your kind of career that stand out of like, and they don't have to be, you know, you know, obviously we're in the jewelry business, so people generally think stones, massive stones and money, but I don't, I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about personal great moments for yourself. Is there any that stand out of your career? Well, uh, a lot of it has to do with, of course, there's multiple stories about 
customers that we deal with mm-hmm. that, that do something that's really, really um, uh, gut-wrenching and, and important and that we get a lot of value out of for ourselves. Uh, but uh, some of the things we've done that we've created ourselves that give me a great sweet spot feeling inside. Uh, one is that, uh, and, and these have been created by my, my sons, by the way, so um, kudos to them. But uh, the cu- couple of them, the couple of initiatives that I'd li- uh, I, I can think of that I'd like to mention is, uh, one is that we do an, an event or a promotion uh, called Pay It Mom Word. Okay. And every year, and we've done this for probably at least maybe 15 years now, uh, 10, years le- uh, 10 days leading up to Mother's Day, we start placing gifts out in the community, a gift-wrapped item in a package, and we place it all, all kinds of random places for people to find, just to suddenly come upon you if they see a small package that's gift-wrapped, and it's just there like somebody forgot it or left it. So we put a card on the top that says, um, uh, if, this, if you found this, it's yours to keep. And when they open it up, they find another card that basically says, uh, this is celebrating Mother's Day, and for all you mothers out there, we, we appreciate you so much. And, and if you're a mother, keep it. If you're not, pay it forward to a mother that's important to you or a mother that you know. And so, um, 10 gifts, we, we do a television spot usually that promotes it and, and other ways. And so there's always a lot of chatter and talk around, around town about, you know, have you, have you found the one for this for today? And then we post them, of course, on sure. social media, uh, post the gifts. Uh, we, don't, we don't post the names of the people that, yeah. that, that find them. And uh, it's just a, just a sweet, good, good feel kind of thing. Uh, the other thing that, that, that gives me great enjoyment that we do that we only started about maybe five or six years ago, and that was uh, what we call Family Friday. Now, typically, the biggest retail selling day of the year is Black Friday, the Friday after Thanksgiving. And uh, my sons came up with this idea, why don't we do something that will, that will be good for our own employees for a change? And why don't we be closed on Black Friday? And of course, my first reaction was, are you crazy? <laughs> It's like Chick-fil-A closing on Sunday, <laughs> right? <laughs> right, and of course, we're always closed on Sunday, yeah. too, for the same reasons. Um, so we got to thinking about it, and the nice thing about it is it gives our employees, because typically, we would work up to Thanksgiving Day, and we'd all rush to wherever we need to rush to. A lot of people had to go out of town to be with family for Thanksgiving, and then they had to hustle back to be back to work on Friday morning, which would be typically a pretty busy day, and then still work on Saturday, too, because our, our people work on Saturdays, typically. And so this would give them a two-day weekend, um, 
right at Thanksgiving time when they might need that extra day, particularly if they went 200 miles away to be with family or in another state even to be with family. And so we promoted it as uh, Family Friday, and then our, our message was, um, we're closed on Friday. It's Family Friday for us, and we encourage you to be with whatever you do on Friday, whether it's shopping in the mall or somewhere else. Spend some time with your family, so be with your family. And so we got, we got really good, positive feedback from our customers. And then the amazing thing is that <clears throat> then, then Saturday, we kicked off the beginning of our Christmas sale and our Christmas season. So Saturday was a big day. And it ended up being big enough that our one Saturday created more sales than previous years, Friday and Saturday added together. So it worked for us. Yeah, it works out just fine. Sales right? point of view. But we got such good feedback from our customers that, yeah. that they really uh, respected us for that, and they, they understood it. Yeah. Well, and you're such a family business too, right? Like, you know, you just mentioned that, you know, um, you have four granddaughters and three grandsons, you know, like you're, you know, you, there's the next generation there as well, and you've always, you know, there's aunts and uncles, and you guys are a big family, so it makes sense that, even selfishly for yourself, not working on that Friday is a good thing. And it just so happens that everything works out and Saturday just makes up for it, right? And it's, um, you know, you put that out into the world and, and I think everyone sees that as a good thing and respects that rather than moaning because you're not open on Friday. Yeah, so very, very true. Yeah. Um, and speaking of those seven grandchildren, we also have seven others that are sisters of our sons whose husbands' careers took them away from Oklahoma. So yeah. they probably would be working in our business, too, if they lived in this area, but they don't. Yeah. Um, and so that gives us some other opportunities to get some more of that fifth generation. <laughs> <in>. So we're <laughs> always, always looking for that. Yeah. Uh, what um, kind of moving forward a little bit, what, what excites you about where the industry is going in the future? The industry itself, the yeah, jewelry industry. Yeah. yeah. What excites you about that? Well, the, the, what excites me about it most is that it's it'll always stay what it is, uh, an industry that is built around happy occasions and love. It's it's not that's not going to change. Yeah. Uh, there are always challenges in any kind of industry. Um, uh, making sure that that the, that. The new customers understand the the beauty of jewelry and the product, and how important it can be to them, and uh, fostering that uh, that kind of um, love for it. And it seems to be a natural thing. And businesses business is good. You know, even during the pandemic, we had we had record years. Actually, it was good for our entire industry because people were shut in. They weren't spending money on travel. They weren't spending money on entertainment. Yeah. And uh, so our entire industry had a couple of good years during during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's a great industry. Yeah. 
Tell me a little bit about, we will finish with this, a little bit of kind of consumer advice for, for people who want to come to the store, who may be unsure about what they want. They have no idea what their wife likes, you know, all, all of the man questions that we have, right? Um, you guys have a great staff here and you guys have obviously professionals and, and people in the, you know, the girls on the floor, the guys on the floor, they know everything they know. Um, what would you say to someone coming in and how that, how does that process work if they're coming in to find a special something for okay, someone? So, so first of all, you, you're right. We have very, very um, uh, professional staff that, had a, that have had a lot of training and a lot of experience. And they, they feel the same way that we do, that family is very important. So they, they do their best to develop a really good relationship with their customers. The beauty of a, of a local business, um, and, and this would be for all kinds of local businesses that are here in, yeah. in Class and Curve, for example, is that typically uh, the salespeople uh, and the people that work there work there a long time. In the larger big box stores and larger stores and uh, chain stores, uh, there's such a high rate of turnover of the people that work there. So the beauty of, of, of a business like ours is that we, we have an opportunity to develop a relationship with our customers. And uh, it works, it, it just works so well. We have, we have employees that uh, have been with us, the manager of this store has been with us 27 years. Uh, assistant manager, she has two assistant managers. One's been with us 21 years. The other one's been with us um, uh, 12 or 13 years. We have Bruce over here at the counter that's been with us over 30 years. I've got people downtown that have been with us 40 and 42 and 43 years. And so a customer can, we have customers that buy their engagement ring from us, they move off to Lubbock, and 10 or 20 years later, they come back and they find the same salesperson there to help them again that sold them their engagement ring. And that's, that's, that's the beauty of this business. A lot of repeat, mm-hmm. a lot of repeat customers that keep coming back. And one of the reasons they keep coming back is that Joe is still here and Tom is still here. And uh, they, they develop these really close uh, relationships, which is, which is neat. Uh, one of the, one of the interesting things that my, my son Coleman was off at some social event and somebody that he didn't know, um, they introduced themselves to each other and he said, are, are you with B.C. Clark? And Coleman said, yeah. And he said, you know, I think my grandfather bought his engagement ring at B.C. Clark. And uh, Coleman just happened to casually kind of get his... Get, get, get the name of the grandfather and this was one evening they were out and Coleman said I might be able to find the record on that I'll, I'll check tomorrow and I'll call you if I do and so so sure enough in, uh, in, in less than five minutes after Coleman got to the store and told me the story he said I think I'll go see if I can find it and in five minutes he comes back and he's got this three by five index card that we used to this was back in older times. Yeah. Now everything's on our on our system, computer. Came back with this card, and it had his grandfather's name on it. And uh, the the size of the diamond and the price that he paid for it, which was practically nothing back, yeah. back then when he bought it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, 
So the, the date on the card was, it was 1960-something. So here it was, 30-something, you know, like almost 60 years. A record that was, that's something you don't yeah. find at a big box store. You can't no. go back and find an old record like that. No, they can turn it in the and, trash. But in a small local business that hadn't had a big fire in the meantime, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you'll find that's the key right there. You'll find yeah. things like that. Wow. Yeah. What a great story. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I, I'm sure we could sit here for hours telling stories, and there's abundance of those stories as well that you have. But I want to thank you for taking time out today to share some stories um, for people listening. Um, I'll put the website to BC Clark. You probably already know it, but I'll put that in the description. <laughs> uh, and the jingle will start sometime soon, I'm sure, if it hasn't already gone out by the time this goes out. Um, and yeah, shop Class and Curve and Nicholas Hills Plaza. And um, don't forget Small Business Saturday. We'll catch you next episode. Cheers. Hope you guys enjoyed that great episode. Thank you so much for listening. As always, huge shout out to our sponsors, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, sharing Oklahoma story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com and follow them on Instagram for daily updates at oklahomahof. Our other sponsor, the Chickasaw Nation, amazing sponsor. They do amazing things for the state and they're always sponsoring something in Oklahoma. They're a huge supporter of Oklahoma and without their support, we wouldn't be able to do what we do. And our third sponsor is Diffie Ford Lincoln down in El Reno. Now, this one makes me so happy because these guys are great friends of mine, um, play a lot of golf together. I've bought my cars from them, do most of my oil changes down there, have a cup of coffee, hang out down in El Reno. It's a good spot to go. And not only are they great friends, but they provide a great service. So for over 60 years, a third generation family owned Oklahoma business down in El Reno. They're also in Bethany as well. So people in the Bethany area know the Diffies really well. But if you're looking for anything new used, um, Ford, Lincoln, or whatever, I'm sure they could find anything you want. Um, check them out, DiffieFord.net, and then on Instagram at DiffieFordLincoln. Thank you for listening. We are inspired by those around us and hope that you are too. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so we can keep telling your stories. For more great Oklahoma content, follow This Is Oklahoma on Facebook and Instagram.